As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, was st while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have a theory in life, and, and this is my theory, that you really do not know who someone is, truly. You don't know who some of your best friends are until you see them on the dance floor at a wedding. Because it's on the dance floor at a wedding when Aunt Marge starts busting out some moves, and you're like, all right, Aunt Marge. What you got it going on over there? She's got some, some Beyonce moves that she has in her back pocket. I didn't know that about you. Can really change your perception of a few people. I think that every time, I get to go to a lot of weddings because I'm a pastor, and uh, I always surprise people. People are looking at me like, uh, like they just found out that, uh, that, that Spider-Man is Peter Parker when I start dancing on the, on the dance floor, okay? But I'm not a very good dancer, but I'm a pastor who dances. And that in and of itself is, is shocking to people. Sometimes our perceptions of people can change. They need to change because our limited information gives us only one perception of someone. And then when more information is given to us, our idea of who that person is can completely be changed in our minds. That's what happens for these disciples today. Today, in this story of Jesus being resurrected, he's already out of the tomb, he's walking around. We've been doing this short series through the, the, the last chapter of Luke where we've looked at the three uh, resurrection narratives in uh, the end of Luke. And in this last one, Jesus has already been resurrected. He's already appeared to two, two of the followers on the Emmaus Road. And today, he appears to the 11 disciples. And their idea of who Jesus is. These men who followed Jesus for, for three long years, who thought that they knew everything. It was as if they saw him on the dance floor at the wedding. Because everything changed all at once. Their idea of who this man was. And so let's dive into this story. And what I want you to see as we dive into this story is that the disciples' perception of Jesus changes in three ways. And it's the same ways that our, our perception of Jesus has to change as we get to know him. 
They go through three different conversions as they meet the resurrected Jesus. The first conversion is they have a mental conversion. The second conversion that they go through is they have a spiritual conversion. And the third conversion that they go through is that they have a life conversion. And those are the same conversions that we also walk as Christian followers as we get to know Jesus more. Sometimes these conversions come quickly and sometimes they come very slowly. You might be stuck at one of the stages that we go through today. Sometimes you actually need to go back and, and redo some of the conversions. You might be someone who has had a religious experience with Jesus. You might be someone that has had great joy from walking with Christ, but yet doubts arise and you have to go back and examine the evidence once again and become mentally convinced once again that Jesus is the true resurrected King. So let's go through these three conversions. And as I do this, I want you to ask these questions of yourself. Who is Jesus to me? How do, does my perception of Jesus need to change or mature? Have I experienced all of these or did I get stuck along the way? The first conversion that these disciples experienced is a mental conversion. The disciples went from thinking that Jesus was dead to thinking that he is alive. How did that happen? Well, let's look at the story. This story picks up where last week left off. And if you were here last week or if you were tuned in online, you saw that what Jesus did is he appeared to two followers on the Emmaus Road. One of them was named Cleopas. And he convinced these followers that he was the resurrected Jesus that they loved and followed. Now, this story picks up with Cleopas and his friends showing up to, the, to where the, all the other disciples are hanging out. And these 11 disciples that are remaining of Jesus, they're in the same room, and the door is locked. Why is the door locked? Well, their leader was just murdered by the government. I don't know about you, I would have the door locked as well if my leader was just murdered by the government. I, I'm not taking any chances. So they let Cleopas in. I don't know if they had a secret password or if they just said, hey, it's me. Uh, but they, they let him in. They locked the door again behind him and his friend. And Cleopas starts telling the disciples, guys, you'll never believe it. I hope you will. You will eventually, I suppose. You will in a few verses, I guess. Jesus appeared to us. Us too, yeah. The, the women, they weren't lying. The tomb, it, Jesus is alive and the 11 disciples you would think that they would say he is risen indeed no they said you too all these people thinking they're seeing ghosts around here you guys are crazy and as they start saying that but what happens Jesus himself appears in the room and says, peace to you, which is, which is ancient Hebrew for what's up. And he's right there. And they lose it. The disciples, that Cleopas is telling them, hey, Jesus appeared to me. He's alive. Jesus shows up, says hello. And they start saying, it's a ghost. We're seeing him too. It's a ghost. And Jesus, again, he's like, you people, how many times do I have to do this? And he says again, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts see my hands and my feet that it is i myself the the greek there it's, it says it twice it's emphasized it's it's me it's really me is what he's saying touch me and see for a spirit a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that i have 
And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. So Jesus, he kind of does that move that Santa Claus might do when, when a young child is sitting on Santa Claus's lap. Like, is your beard real? Yeah, yeah, touch it, touch it, pull it. Except for this time, he's like, these holes in my, in my hands, they didn't come from nowhere. It's really me. I really hung on the cross. Go ahead, put your finger in it, my child. And see that it's really me. I'm no ghost, I'm flesh and bones. And 41, verse 41 is one of my favorite verses in here because it's just a weird one. It says this, it says, And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? So the first part of that, he's, they disbelieved for joy. What a great little saying. They disbelieved for joy. That means, basically, it's too good to be true. We can't believe it because it's just too good. Maybe you're in that boat where you've heard about Christ your entire life. You've heard about God sending his own son to die for our sins and to be resurrected. And you just think, you know what? That's a, that would be nice if it was true, but I think it's just too good to be true. And that's where the disciples were at this moment. But then after that, Jesus does this really amazing thing where he just looks up and he says, you got anything to eat? You know, like dying for the world's sins, it was a little famishing. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm hungry. Do you have anything to eat? I don't know about you guys, but the last time I saw a ghost, it did not ask for food to eat. That is not something that ghosts do. They don't eat food. You see, Jesus is walking them through this, and, and after he asks for something to eat, the disciples, they give him a broiled piece of fish. You see, Jesus let them touch his hands. He let them see that he eats food. He is no spirit. Now, some modern scholars, they say that what the disciples were experiencing was a mass hallucination. They were going through a mass hallucination where they were all so excited about what happened. They were all so disillusioned by what happened. They all started hallucinating. I don't know if you've ever met someone who's ever had hallucinations, but people who have hallucinations, they don't doubt if those hallucinations are true or not. They know that those things are true. But the disciples here, they're saying, I must be hallucinating. And then Jesus says, no, you're not hallucinating. It really is me. So, some other scholars, they don't say that they were hallucinating. They say that the disciples had a spiritual experience that was happening at this moment. That Jesus did not really appear to them physically, but it was a spiritual experience that they all had together. But they go to great pains here to show that it's not a spiritual experience, not just a spiritual experience. Because first of all, spiritual experiences, you don't do something as boring as asking for food. If you're having a spiritual experience, that's such a real mundane, real life thing. That's something that Jesus did. And beyond that, they go to great pains to show that the disciples were mentally convinced before they had the spiritual experience. Some of you here today, you come from an irreligious background. You're not sure about this whole Christ thing. You're not sure. Uh, you, you, you got dragged here by a friend, or you're just still trying to process through who Jesus is. And if all of his claims are true, if he really is the Son of God, if he really did raise from the dead, and let me tell you that you're in good company. No one is asking you here today to take on blind faith. Because the, the scriptures are really, really convincing. The proof is really, really good 
that Christ historically, literally rose from the dead. And we can walk through that, and we would love to walk through that with you. And we're not asking you to check your brains in at the front door before you come in here. We want you to use your brains because God gave them to you. Others of us, we, we might not be in that irreligious category. We might be more in that religious category where maybe you grew up in church. You had uh, a, a parent who taught you about Christ. And you don't have any doubt that Jesus is real, that he really resurrected. But it just hasn't sunk into that next level. Maybe you've only gone through the mental conversion aspect where you believe it, but it doesn't impact your life one way or another. You need to go through that next step that Jesus leads us through, which is the spiritual conversion. Point number two, the spiritual conversion. Jesus next leads the disciples through this. They go from thinking that Jesus' death was a disappointment to believing that he is the hope for the world. So after he ate the fish, he began to explain the resurrection to him, to them. And he says this, he says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now this is a little bit of rehash from last week because Jesus went to pains last week to explain how all of the Old Testament scriptures were pointing forward to him. And so here he is again, with the 11 disciples explaining once again, opening the words of the scripture and saying all of those stories that you've studied your entire life, the stories of Adam and Eve in the garden, the story of Noah and the ark, the story of Abraham and Isaac, the story of David, the great king, the story of the suffering servant who would one day come to redeem Israel. All those were pointing forward to me. He explained that to them. But more than that, verse 45 he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Friends, when was your mind first opened to understand the scriptures? Have these words from this book, this ancient book, come alive to you? Have you had it burning within you as he has taught you who he is? Because Christ can be found, God himself can be found in the words of scripture, they are sweet. This is why you need to be in a church that teaches Christ from all of the scriptures. It's not good enough to just teach the scriptures. You have to teach Christ from all of the scriptures. This is why we, we must be reading our scriptures. Because as we read the scriptures, and he opens our minds to understand what is happening, as we hear the scriptures read on a Sunday morning, and God opens our minds to hear what he has to say to us today, because he has something to say to each and every one of us, that is where the spiritual conversion happens. You see, it, it's not good enough to just believe that he is alive. Even the demons believe that Jesus is real. You have to take that next step and understand the scriptures, understand that he is real to you, my friends, and why he is resurrected. You don't just believe that he is resurrected, but you must understand why he's resurrected. You see, up to 10, ten minutes ago, these disciples, they thought Jesus was a big failure. They thought the past three years of their life was the biggest waste of time that they've ever experienced. They followed a guy. They thought that this guy was going to be king, and he got himself crucified. He wouldn't even stand up for himself. He told, uh, he told Peter to put away his sword. Who is this guy? 
when he was going to be king, if he had gotten to be king, I would have had a nice cabinet position, the disciples said. I would have been close to the king. My life would be worth something. But now, the past three years are wasted, and he is a failure. But they didn't understand Jesus, and now they're starting to understand Jesus as he opens up the scripture. They didn't understand that he needed to rise from the dead. They didn't understand that he needed to die. But now they understand that his mission wasn't against Rome, but it was against sin. He paid the penalty of sin so that we might have forgiveness. They understand now that his mission wasn't just for Israel, as they thought, that he was going to come and redeem Israel, but his mission was for every nation on the face of the earth. You see, Jesus had bigger fish to fry, and they just gave him a piece of boiled fish. How is someone spiritually converted? A spiritual conversion requires a sense of personal brokenness, a sense of your own need for forgiveness, because it's not good enough to believe that Jesus died. You need to know that Jesus died in your place, that he had to die in your place, that you deserve to be nailed to the cross, that you deserve to die for your sins, but yet Christ did on your behalf. To be spiritually converted means that you don't just believe that Jesus is alive, but that Jesus is alive in you. That you've been not only died with him, but you have been resurrected with him. And spiritual conversion also means that you are clothed with power on high. Check this out. Verse 48. Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What's Jesus talking about? The Holy Spirit. He's talking about receiving the Holy Spirit in that moment. And friends, the Holy Spirit is a gift to each and every Christian. Each and every one of us, we have the Holy Spirit if we're trusting in Christ. And he empowers us. And I'm not talking about anything that has to be one of the things that you see. You don't necessarily have to have one of the, the charismatic gifts to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, although you might. But you don't have to have one of the charismatic gifts. The Holy Spirit empowers us to fight temptation. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live a faithful life, to have hope when there is no hope. The Holy Spirit gives us hope. And so here we have Jesus leading them through a mental conversion, and then he's leading them through a spiritual conversion, helping them understand their need for the Holy Spirit, their need for the crucifixion, and their need for the resurrection. And then lastly we see a life conversion happen with these disciples. Look at what Jesus said. He said, you are witnesses of these things. And he said, you're going to proclaim my name to all of the world. That you are going to be starting in Jerusalem and go from to every nation to proclaim my name. What a big mission. Jesus said, not only that you need to go and tell your friends, he said that you're going to tell the entire world, every nation. Now, if you're working in a company and your boss comes in and says, I want every nation to know the name of our company, you're going to say, I need a bigger marketing budget. I need to be able to do a little bit more than what you have given me. And you might be a little frantic, especially if he says or she says, you're in charge of that. I want you to make sure that every nation knows the name of our company. 
I don't know about you, I'd be a little nervous about failing. But how did the disciples respond? Verse 52, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. They're not stressing. They're not frantic. They're in the temple blessing God, worshiping with great joy. Previously, they disbelieved for joy, but somehow over the next 10 minutes after Jesus explains these things, they have great joy as they go home. Jesus took this little discouraged, this little frightened, depressed band of followers, and he turned them into the greatest religious movement that the world has ever known. Jesus took these little discouraged, grieving people, huddled in a locked room, worried about what they're going to do with their lives, and he sent them out with great joy. No longer in a locked room, but where are they going? To the temple. To the very people that killed their Savior, that killed their King. They're going to them to, with the good news that there is great joy found because Jesus is alive. Amen? Where did that great joy come from? Where did it come from? Previously, they had no hope, but now they have eternal hope. They were so dis disappointed and discouraged, but now they have eternal hope. They know that they have heaven on their side, that they will live forever with God. It's infinitely better than even their previous hope. They were so disappointed, but now they got infinitely better than what they were disappointed about losing. Recently, my family watched a movie with, a, uh, and I'm a dad, so this is going to be, you know, a very G-rated film here. Um, we, we watched a movie with a character that I found the most relatable animated character since Grumpy in Snow White. And it's a character named Louisa in Encanto. Anybody seen Encanto? A few folks in here. Louisa's, there's no, I don't know if they ever clarified this, but there's no doubt that she's the oldest sister. Uh, she's, the, she's the strong one. She's got the superpower of strength. And um, as she sang her song, I was not expecting this, but I'm like weeping during my first listening to this. Um, and my kids are like, what's wrong? And I'm like, it's too real. <laughs> she feels the pressure of being responsible and of having her life together and of just living everything she can and making the most out of her life, herself. Here's some of the lyrics. I, I was listening to this the other night and crying, so hopefully I make it through. They're very relatable to a Bostonian, I believe. They are to me, at least. She says, I move mountains, I move churches, and I glow because I know what my worth is. Got a rough, indestructible surface. But under the surface, I'm not reading every line, okay? That'd take a little while. And then I'd start singing, and then we'd have a show and dance, and then it wouldn't be good for anybody. But under the surface, I feel berserk as a tightrope walker in a three-ring circus. Under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. A flaw or a crack, the straw in the, in the stack that breaks the camel's back. What breaks the camel's back? Pressure like a drip, 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 drip. That'll never stop. Pressure that'll tip, tip, tip till you just go pop. Give it to your sister, and your sister's stronger. See if she can hang on a little longer. Who am I if I can't carry it at all, if I falter? 
you hear the pressure that she's under. And I think all of us can resonate with that. Because if this life is all we have to live, we better make the most of it. We need to get our lives together. We need to carry it all. You know the problem with Louisa, it goes beyond even the pressure to make the most out of it. She says, I don't know who I am if I can't carry it all. Who am I even? She doesn't know how to stop. She doesn't know who she would be without her burdens defining her. Friends, do you feel the need to squeeze the most out of your life? Do you feel the need to be strong for those around you? Do you live with this sort of frantic energy where you just feel like you need to squeeze every bit out of life that you can because life is temporary and you only live once? You need to accomplish some things. You need to make a bucket list. You need to check it off. You need to visit some places and see some things in life. And friends, if this life is all there is, that is the best way to live it. But the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus is this, that you can have great joy even if you are an epic failure. The good news of the gospel is this, that you can have great joy apart from what you produce. That you can be defined by more than what you're able to hold or what burden you're able to carry. The good news of the gospel is that you can have great joy because this life is not all that there is. That you can have great joy because Jesus gives us joy and an eternal hope of a resurrected self. You see, Jesus was just the firstborn from among the dead. We also, as we place our hope in him, will be risen to new life. And as a Christian, you might look at your bucket list and you might say, I don't know if I'm going to check off all of these things. And you are able to look at it and say, but that's okay. Those things are important, but I've got more time left. I've always got more time. If you're staring near the end of your life, you have more time left. Earlier today, I saw a story about uh, this, this couple that I've known my entire life. And uh, the, the husband died recently. And, um, oh, the sadness to see, to see his bride mourning that. But also her delight because she knows that in heaven there will be no missing anyone. We'll be able to experience the good life for the rest of eternity. Heaven's not going to be a boring place. It'll be a place full of exploring, full of eating, of friendships, of fellowship, and of great joy. And we just get a taste of it in this life, my friends. But a sweet taste of it we get. Jesus is alive. He is risen. Amen. He gives us a meal to remind us that one day we get to eat a feast with him in heaven. We get to enjoy his presence forever. And this is a communion meal that we get to delight in today. So let's, let's stand, church. Let's sing. Let's praise him. He is alive. He's, he is very alive. And he's coming again. Let's, let's pray. Father, as we come to this table, as we come to this meal, God, we pray that you will fill us with great joy 
that you will help us to no longer disbelieve for joy, but that you will give us great joy in what he has done for us. That you will help us to live our lives in worship, free of the burden that we oftentimes place on ourselves. But that you will help us to hear from you, worship you, and enjoy you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.